1: We made it to the end of this frigid week. Time to step away from the headlines and dig deeper on the weekly news recap. Here are some of the stories to discuss.
2: Even though it's a little less snow, the temperatures are in the teens and single digits, so really no melting with that snow. It's very slick. We went from an abnormally
3: warm December to an abnormally cold Top staffers in the mayor's administration, including the mayor himself, were made aware of allegations of unsanitary and unsafe conditions at the shelter as early as late October.
2: This email alleges the shelter had insufficient bathrooms, exposed pipes with sewage, cockroach infestation, and insufficient meals and water.
1: Our panel this week is Ravi Beshwal, anchor of ABC7's 5 and 6 p.m. newscasts. Parish Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight, and Stephanie Zimmerman, a consumer investigations reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. I had to start by asking them about the top story on everyone's mind this past week, the cold. We can't escape it. So I asked them, how did you cope? Here's Ravi.
0: I think something has happened in Chicago that people have gotten soft because I guess of what had happened in November and December, we had such mild temperatures. But just add on the layers, make sure you've got a hat, make sure you've got gloves, make sure you've got warm boots. And may I say... As a born Canadian, wear wool <laughs> socks. That will help you. Don't worry about the fashion. You part tell him,
2: Revy. That's good. I'm i I'm a Wisconsinite uh by childhood. Um and I was I was all over the big crock pot of chili, you know, made a double oh, batch. Yes. Mm-hmm. That fed us for a couple of days into all that all that kind of warm, yummy food. Yeah, that's such a good uh, you know, idea.
3: One of the tricks I learned from like uh, being in the field and covering stories out when it was 20 below zero is if you wear snow pants, if you cover your legs and your head, your body is OK. It doesn't feel that bad. So I wore snow pants to work pretty much every day this week and when I was walking my dog and uh, and and it was fine.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that sounds cool. Well, we saw snow overnight, Ravi, and and early this morning. What else is in store for Chicago this weekend? Put your weatherman cap on.
0: You know, it's so funny because we obviously in television news we talk about weather a lot because it's very Mm -hmm. graphics-oriented, and I've learned a lot listening to my colleagues Larry Mowry and... uh, no, no green screen here today no though. green screen here but but really what we have here is after an incredibly mild December which was the fourth mildest December in 50 years mm-hmm. we're now flipping the page here and this is a, the reason is as I understand it is that you know we're supposed to be cold right now you've got this jet stream which brings cold air from Canada it comes down and comes back up well that jet stream there are things called Arctic oscillations north of it that are basically unstable air masses that are dropping even more cold. Weather right down into the heartland, right across the Great Lakes. And uh, we're in for this for a little while. It is going to be a little bit warmer over the next few days, but it is going to be cold on the weekend. And then it warms up. up. Yeah, I
1: think on Monday it starts to warm up. I've been hearing El Nino this, El Nino that. What is that again?
0: Uh, El Nino is the baby, and uh, and it is it is a warming trend. <laughs> <The> cold baby, <laughs> it is it, the cold baby. It is the warming trend, uh, certainly through through air masses and through uh, through large bodies of water in the ocean. It's a natural phenomenon that comes, you know, every there's a cycle to it. And uh, we're, we're caught in the midst of it, and it has been going on for quite a while. But it is a disruptive force that you can point to yeah. in terms of meteorology that is leading to, among other things, some of this in- incredibly overall warmer weather that we've enjoyed this, this winter. But like I said... Uh, I used to build a backyard rink every single year, especially when the kids were younger. Haven't done it for what six or seven years now.
1: Because it's been been
0: milder. And the kids grew up. But still, I I see fewer of them around.
1: Yeah. Well, Paris, let's shift gears here because WTTW recently learned more about conditions at a migrant shelter in Pilsen. What's the same one where five-year-old Jean Carlos Martinez-Rivero died last month? What did you find out this time?
3: Well, what what we learned was that the Brandon Johnson administration had been made aware in late October, only weeks after this shelter had opened, that there were serious problems at this, you know, abandoned warehouse turned shelter, including raw sewage that was exposed and people sleeping near them uh cockroach infestation as you heard uh insufficient bathrooms for the the swelling population they had started with you know around a thousand and now they're at like 2500 which is which is way overcrowded for that space there were illnesses reports of illnesses breaking out And um, so we, we filed a Freedom of Information request to get those emails that sort of were had warned. They had been sent by Alderwoman Nicoli to Brandon Johnson and Department of Family and Support Services Commissioner Brandi Kanazi, warning of all those things. We got our FOIA response sent back nearly completely redacted. They withheld all of that information from us. But we did, I had seen those emails from another source. I knew it was in them. We reported on them the next day. The administration chose to reverse course to not hide that information from the public anymore. They unredacted it and it confirmed that they were made aware of all those conditions where all those illnesses have happened. Let's not forget, several children have gone to the hospital with upper respiratory problems from mm. that shelter. We should state we don't know the cause of death of Martinez-Rivero. Okay. So we, we cannot say that it's connected to those conditions. We don't know that definitively, but we know... That though that the Johnson administration was aware of how unsanitary and unsafe that place was very early on.
1: Yeah. I mean, and how are they responding to that claim? Right. The, the continued allegations that you knew this and you've known this for some time.
3: Well, it's interesting. Alder people are are upset. They uh, they're all Even the Byron Sigjo Lopez, who that's his ward. And you'd think he might have known that was going. But he said the administration never shared that with him. Everyone was kept in the dark that the administration knew these things and they didn't tell anybody uh, is something that's upset a lot of older people. So what they said after we ran our story, by the way, they didn't comment for my initial story after we ran it 24 hours later they sent a statement outlining the different things they did in response to those things so they said they removed cots away from sewers they have an exterminator go in there once a week that doesn't give you a lot of comfort so it's confirming there is that infestation and now you're spraying all those fumes in there and 2500 people in this poorly ventilated space are breathing that in they say that there are cdph public health officials there to contain illness outbreaks it it uh, some older people I talked to said it it it's kind of thin gruel here. It's kind mm-hmm. of weak sauce in terms of what they're saying. Their response was it, it still doesn't sound like the conditions there are sanitary.
1: Goodness, folks, if you have thoughts, I mean, on uh, on what Paris just mentioned here
0: I think with the it, shelters, I think with with Paris's reporting on it, it's been incredible. Yeah. and if you if you saw actually the redacted email, it's incredible. All that is there that they offered through their. FOIA request is uh, essentially the address of the person who was writing it and the sort of the glad-handing hello and the goodbye. Yeah. That's it. The rest of it, it's, <laughs> it might as well have been out of the CIA. And, and, you know, it's interesting to hear some of the discussion around this topic, not just in terms of the migrants, but in how the Johnson administration is uh, is conduct, uh, conducting itself. And I think, Paris, you, you can see that the conversation goes back again to this what is perceived to be a lack of transparency and mm-hmm. uh, and a, a willingness to sort of hold cards very close to their chest, the administration is, for fear of, what, looking bad? We all know that the migrant crisis is 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 happening in real time. No mm-hmm. one really p- planned for it, and no one's blaming the Johnson administration for it. But there's a, it speaks to sort of the way they respond to what crisis. Yeah. I,
2: well, yeah. I, 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 I,
0: yeah,
2: go ahead. No, right. I no, was go just going to say I agree. I mean, when you look at those emails, it's not like... Anything that's anybody didn't know or suspect, um, I don't know why they're so afraid of that. Because I think a lot of people actually, um, you know, feel for the people involved in trying to address this emergency. They didn't ask for it. These are forces that are much larger than the city of Chicago. Yeah. I mean, we have... Um, a, a governor in Texas who's scoring political points by sending these folks up here, and in the larger context, we have you know whole countries in in Latin America that are that are not functioning. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. most people don't like just leave their country if they're happy. So there's all these larger forces at work, and I think I, I don't know why they were so weird about not releasing that yeah. information. Well,
3: Paris, or, and, and, we believe, go I'm ahead. sorry, I'm saying we believe. You know, when they sent that back, I've never receive documents back from a from a city FOIA redacted like that when and we believe they were in violation of state law when when they when they redacted all those things. So we had retained a lawyer and we were prepared to go to court to to sue to basically unredact. And we believe we would have won. And the next day they did unredact everything. So it does, as you said, Ravi, raises serious questions about uh, transparency with this administration and not just with the media. They have not been very transparent with the media, but other older people who aren't in their inner circle Mm -hmm. are complaining that they are not sharing information or they're not they're not being listened to mm-hmm. uh, with their concerns, yeah. uh, that this has been a very insular administration. It seems like each successive mayor becomes more and more insular. They promise more and more transparency.
0: Yeah. started with the greatest. That was one of the great, great uh, criticisms of the Lightfoot administration, yeah. what this administration said. They weren't going to make the same mistake. And I guess it's easy to sit over here and criticize in this way, but it seems like in trying to control a narrative about good news or your agenda, and not just reacting to headlines, uh, they make the same mistakes, which is maybe the nature of yeah. power at City Hall. Well, uh, yeah, and, and
3: I want—I just want to agree with Stephanie. This administration has been dealt a horrible hand with this mm-hmm. migrant crisis, and yes, you have to throw the blame mm-hmm. at Texas Governor Greg Abbott for scoring political points to continually send folks here. The city clearly has scrambled. No, no one has bad intentions here. They've scrambled to try and and accommodate this and, and, and clearly have not been equipped to do so thus far.
1: Part of this scramble, we know tens of thousands of migrants have been bussed here to, to the city from Texas, as as Stephanie mentioned. Um, No new buses have been dropping off migrants Over the past few days, I'm assuming that's because of the weather, but this transportation company that that was bringing migrants here is now suing the city. Why, Paris?
3: Well, they're saying that these new restrictions that the city put in place in terms of where a bus can drop migrants off. It's just it's a very localized region and when. Um, because they're just trying to get control so buses don't just go any old place at any old time. They're saying that that violates uh, interstate commerce, uh, that that violates the rights of migrants. They're saying the migrants want to come to Chicago. So to say that they can't be dropped off is violating uh, their rights. Uh, I I really don't know where the law falls on that. But again, I know that they're also
0: claiming it's discriminatory because of who's on those buses, right, yeah, right, right, because it's migrants on the buses, so you're discriminating
3: where you know uh, where they can be dropped off and when. But it's in response to this ordinance that basically is trying to get control yeah. over where and when the buses you know come. This landing zone, right? This landing zone, right? Yeah.
1: Um. You know, the city wants migrants dropped off at this landing zone, but so where are they being dropped off currently?
0: They could be dropped off anywhere, anywhere, and and certainly after Chicago made its ordinance to try to to try to rationalize where these drop-offs could happen with the landing zone, uh, all the, all the collar communities and the collar counties all had to pass resolutions they thought to protect themselves from essentially having to take on the, the migrant crisis in a place where they thought they just didn't have the resources to do it.
3: Yeah. Right. yeah there were buses going to suburbs, basically, you know, Naperville. And, and basically those suburbs were, 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 were taking the migrants, putting them on the Metro train mm-hmm. and, sending him to chicago basically
1: yeah mayor johnson planned a tuesday meeting to talk strategy uh, to support migrants that are currently here that meeting was postponed because of the weather but uh, paris to what extent would you say the city and the surrounding suburbs are coordinating efforts here
3: i don't think there's really any extent i think this was the first maybe a- attempt at, at trying to find some kind of coordination i do think the state has kind of come in and taken over some of it. I mean, they're running that shelter in Little Village. Uh, so, some city council members want the state to do more. I do think the governor and the state feel like the city has been in over its head in trying to manage this with the Garda World tent fiasco. Uh, so, so now the state is trying to manage some of this. Oak Park, you know, is is doing its part. But I think this was the first stab at some kind of coordination because we've seen suburbs that just don't want them at all. And so again, this is where you have to cut the city of Chicago some slack. They've taken on everything and suburbs haven't done their part and color communities haven't done their part and there hasn't been coordination. Yeah.
1: So, so the governor's pledging some more support to our city
3: in support of this crisis. I, I think it was something like $17 million right. or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. In, in terms of, and, and I think this is coming just out of a budget that's already sort yeah. of, uh, I, I don't think it's new money um but it, it's certainly not going to be enough i mean there's a um you know the city's pledged 150 million dollars it's going to cost two three times um, more. we don't know how much it's going to it but, just but depends again, on how again, again it also
0: it also speaks though paris and i'm sure you, you think the same that how big an issue this really is and how much of a federal issue this is and how much pressure there is on the white house to do something about this and if essentially the kind of effectiveness hate the tactics but the effectiveness that governor abbott is having down in texas to get this on the national agenda and there's no question i, r- I was reading again about how much more even in a sanctuary city in a democratic uh, state like illinois this immigration issue is is starting to become problematic for the democrats
2: right and I, I but i i just keep coming back to this you know these are human beings that we're talking about and 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 you know donald trump himself he'll probably be the republican nominee for president he he doesn't he doesn't doesn't really want a deal on the border because this issue helps him you know Mm -hmm. um people are scoring political points off of this and you know and and the other thing is i look at it in the larger sense you know coming back to just these countries that have these big problems i was i was thinking as we were you know preparing for this segment in the larger sense what about global warming i mean get ready for the migrants the migrant issue to to go crazy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when people can't live in certain parts of the world because mm-hmm. they become inhabitable. Mm-hmm. So this issue is really not going to go away. There are going to be people who want to move to other countries, move north, north, and we have to come up yeah. with some kind
3: of solution. I think you I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's not just Donald Trump. I really think that most Republicans, they, they go and they have their press conferences at the border. They go and, you know, scream and cry about the folks. Car. I don't think they want a deal either because oh, this don't. is— the, well, is, why why hasn't a, there this, been a deal a, in 20 years? A this great, is the best it, issue ever. It's a, this, this is a great issue, this,
0: issue for an election campaign in 2024. It gets an elected. <laughs> it heard. gets
3: ratings on a certain cable news channel. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's the issue that keeps on giving. So if they're so concerned about it, why haven't they cut a deal it, in
0: 20 years? It'll be very interesting to see how the negotiations go with the new speaker, Mike Johnson, in Washington, uh, over this because they're tying immigration reform and, and, and shoring up the border with uh, aid to Israel and aid to Ukraine. And it's yeah. interesting. I, I think I heard uh, Representative Roger Krishnamurthy on on uh, maybe it was uh, one of the one of those one of those channels, and uh, he was talking about how his colleagues in the House on the Republican side won't actually take yes for an answer as it comes to immigration right. reform. We, we'd have to parse out all of that.
1: We got an update on conditions for migrants staying at city-run shelters and how the Johnson administration is handling the crisis. Plus, we talked about the freezing temperatures. Let's turn now to something else that affects lots of people. That's the cost of renting. Here's Stephanie talking about different fees renters end up having to pay.
2: Yeah, these are what consumer advocates call junk fees, junk fees and apartment rentals. And here you are shopping for an apartment, you're looking at what the rent is going to be, and lo and behold, there's all these other fees and they can add, in some cases, a couple hundred dollars extra to your monthly budget. It makes it really hard to comparison shop. It makes it really hard to plan your life. Wow. And for some people it, it can contribute. I mean, to- and,
1: and do you know this right off the bat or is this more so like once you've sort of sealed the deal, you're signing things and then they're like, oh, by the way.
2: Yeah, both, both of those. I mean, sometimes when you're looking, you'll, you'll find out, like they'll tell you there's also an application fee and and this and that, and Pet a move, fee, in, a move, move in, in fee. fee. Um, some folks have heard you know, heard about it as they're signing, or, or, or even later, there were fees buried in the lease. Uh, but these can really add up. The application fees, we've seen as as over $200 for application fees. Yeah, give fee us some dollars check. here,
1: like the, the um, difference for some folks yeah, that you talk to.
2: Yeah, one of the Bucktown apartments was uh, $237 just for the application fee and credit check. Then a non refundable move in fee, $700. You know, Ooh. that used to be a security deposit back in the old days, and there's some landlords that still use security deposits. Will but they
1: do a move-in fee and a security deposit? No, too?
2: no, no. They just do a move-in fee, but they keep it. I mean, the security mm. deposit, you had some you get hope of getting that back, right? Mm. And then they have these bundle fees, bundle fees of, like, 50 bucks a month, and that will do things like, you know, things you thought were included anyway, like trash pickup, Um the use of an online portal to pay your rent, uh, and uh, or my favorite even is ask for maintenance. <laughs> yeah, my, <laughs> that's my favorite—the maintenance hotline, which yeah. is like the <laughs> cell phone number of the guy that's going to come fix your sink or whatever. That's And, and it's just wild. crazy things like this. And then when you move out, you could get hit with a whole host of other fees—fifteen dollars for a light bulb. an hour to clean the kitchen if they don't think it's sufficiently cleaned. So these are just sort of piling on of these fees. And and there's some folks who've said they've had enough. And there's a a few states that have taken action on these fees.
1: Oh, my goodness. You talked to renters, but you also talked to landlords.
2: I did. What are they saying? You know, I asked them and they said, well, the reason why they hate security deposits so much is that they're complicated. They have to keep them in a separate account. They have to return it with interest. So they don't like that. But they also don't like that many renters will just say, well, I'm not going to pay my last month's rent when I'm going to move out because the landlord can just keep the security deposit. Mm -hmm. But if they wreck the apartment, then the landlord doesn't have anything to pay to fix it all. And one landlord told me he, he pays about $2,000 just to turn over a unit. So I do understand that. Mm. Um, However, some of these... Fees really seem disconnected from reality, like a Mm. maintenance hotline. (laughs) And and
0: some of the numbers that you were quoting in your article were incredible. It was actually raising the cost, in one case, 50% when you added it all up. It was $2,000 for the apartment, but it was close to $3,000 when you added in all those fees, which reminds me, uh, you know, it's cold. We're all thinking about going to Florida or Mexico or something, and then you get a resort fee. Well, I thought that that was what I was buying (laughs) in my vacation, which reminds me of this episode of The Simpsons when... <laughs> a movie when when a movie uh, uh, is being produced in Springfield and the mayor comes in and he just starts throwing all these crazy fees at all the producers and they're just <laughs> it's just it's just absurd and this yeah. starting this is starting to feel this way and and right. it's making its way up the right up to the White House they're they're worried about these and kinds it's of things.
2: me it makes me feel that way when I want to get out of my snowbound house and go see a concert and I buy my ticket and at the end there's a <laughs> right. giant concert ticket fee so and this is all part of this junk fees Mm -hmm. thing and the White House is is trying to make this an issue actually um, you know for the election telling people that they're trying to get rid of these junk fees in a whole host Mm -hmm. of industries and
0: there has been some development in this think about with uh, airline fees it used to be kind of opaque like this as well and Mm -hmm. then and then, and then it came from on high that you had to say, "This is the price." Yeah, taxes, These are the taxes. and that yeah. makes it so much easier, as you said earlier, to comparison shop. Right. As well, let's, consumers need to be. Let's shift
1: to another story that Stephanie's uh, been working on, and in Paris, I'm, I'm sure you can weigh in on this one. I mean, you looked at car insurance rates, Stephanie, for Illinois oh, drivers. Uh, 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 Paris, uh, Paris sighing there. there. I, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even told you what the story is yet. Two, Paris, two teenagers. Two, two it keeps me three. up at night. It yeah. keeps you up at night. Have you felt the pinch of, of of high car insurance prices?
3: I mean, it went from a couple of years ago being like under a hundred dollars to three hundred and thirty seven right now. Yeah. And I live on the northwest side of the city. I mean, it, my, my mine is I related to the you know the, the rash of car thefts and, and mm. the insurance keep going up. Well, well, right.
1: Stephanie, what did you find?
2: Yeah, so this was a story about an analysis that was done by Illinois Purgate Education Fund. It's a consumer group, and they do this regularly. They analyze. Uh, the rates that are charged to Illinois drivers. So they looked at the 10 biggest car insurance companies and their subsidiaries, and that makes up about 81% of all Illinois drivers. In 2023, these companies raised their rates on us by $1.25 billion, and that's on top of 2022 when it was $1.1 billion increase on Illinois drivers. State Farm and Allstate are two of the biggest, and they have raised Mm -hmm. rates by many hundreds of millions of dollars and it's really painful i think for consumers because this is not a product that you can decide you're not going to buy it's mandatory to have you know to be able to drive so um so it really is it really is uh pinching a lot of people the industry says That even though inflation is now, you know, trending down, prices are still really high Uh for things like repairing um, vehicles after a bad accident or paying for medical bills for people after a bad accident. So they say um, that they need to do that. Now, there is... Legislation in Springfield, and there's going to be a big fight over that because the car insurance companies do not want it. But um, that's Representative Gazzardi's um, and Representative Cervantes, both of Chicago. That would give our Illinois D- Department of Insurance the authority to either... Um, reject or modify what they consider excessive rate increases oh, and there okay. are some states that have this ability illinois is one of the most lightly regulated states as far as insurance because we have so many big insurance companies headquartered here all and state farm being the two two big ones but um this bill also would eliminate non-driving factors Mm -hmm. in setting of rates so it would take things out of the equation that are used here like gender marital status age occupation home ownership schooling credit scores um it would take that out of the out of the equation and and when they set these rates. And that's also very controversial. Mm -hmm. Um the consumer groups say that those factors disadvantage Mm -hmm. huge segments of the population who who may be wonderful drivers. You know, you could have somebody with a bad credit score who's a really good driver. You could have a person in a really wealthy neighborhood who has a DUI and that person, that guy might be paying less. Yeah. So they say it's not fair and Sasha, you and I have talked about this in the past. The car insurance companies though say that any time you take away the factors, it makes the risk assessments less Mm -hmm. predictive. So it's a huge issue, and we're going to see a lot of that in the coming year.
1: Paris, uh, the Cook County Inspector General says that some county workers, they've defrauded the Paycheck Protection Program. Remind our listeners what that program is.
3: Well, the Paycheck Protection Program was the COVID-era program that if you uh, you know, if you had to shut your business down because of COVID, if you had to, you know, uh, uh close it down, uh, that, that y- you were able to get, uh, uh, a loan that you wouldn't have to pay back it basically, if you proved that, you know, you lost business, uh, because of it. And this is just another, I mean, this has seemed to happen all over city agencies where, um, some folks that apparently had full-time jobs, uh, public jobs were, uh, I guess, running other businesses and mm-hmm. then fraudulently claimed uh, that uh, they they were owed this PPP money, and the inspector general's been pretty aggressive uh, um, at, at going after uh, uh, some of these folks in multiple city agencies and 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 prosecuting them. How
1: much did he say he the workers stole from the program?
3: Gosh, that, uh, you know, I it slips my
2: mind the right now. Been... One, it was one point two million, mm-hmm. but 2 there's but million. there's been other i mean it's not just these county workers it's it's all sorts of folks working in government Mm -hmm. and and paris mentioned the people that were doing the side hustle businesses that you know may or may not have qualified and uh, to say nothing of the possibly fake businesses that were created to get money from these programs
0: we were all warned about this that in the rush to bring out aid during covid people forget about how 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 sort of worried people were and how quickly things had to be rolled out and how there were going to be administrative snafus there were going to be huge gaps so we kind of knew some of this would would happen yeah. but it still it still shocks you when you see public servants you know doing something on the side something like that yeah. when they know clearly that this is probably not kosher I don't
1: know I'm not sure do I, mean, I don't think
3: we I don't think we know the extent nationally of how how this program was defrauded I mean it's got to be you know In hundreds Billions. Yeah, yeah, in the billions, I mean, for sure. I don't know that there, there's been one like you know Justice Department investigation that like looked into like how much because it just was put together so quickly, yeah, and, and it just seems like it was so easy to just like fraudulently claim this money.
2: Yeah, to Ravi's point, I mean, I think the most disgusting thing is when it's public servants because mm. you know, yes, of course, fraud happens, but then you find there was a top official at CPS. Involved in that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
1: well, you know, on this same topic, Revy, Chicago's Inspector General Deborah Witzberg, released her latest quarterly report, and she noted a clerk office worker who was pocketing cash payments.
0: It's a, it's how, incredible, how much incredible was the story. worker caught with? Apparently, over seven years, probably, probably cashiered about two hundred thousand dollars. Now, what happened here was this: uh, an employee of the city clerk's office uh, pocketed this in terms of. Taking, Imagine this for the city stickers program. They're, they have a very technologically unsavvy system there, a lot of paper records. So over the years, this clerk, who shall not be named, um, was basically taking in cash from people who were buying their city stickers and then marking and handing back the sticker, marking that as having been uh, been paid, paid for. And then the cash was never put in the till. There was actually <laughs> oh basic, basic, <laughs> comptroller functions missing and this has been going on like for seven, eight years. And what's also very upsetting about this is that the when the, when the person was essentially found out, this was before COVID. And the inspector general's office was actually starting their investigation four or five years ago, and only now are we hearing the extent of what had happened. Mm. And and <laughs> apparently the 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 clerk in question has been put on the do not hire list. Oh, which we, was like we a, would hope. Yeah, there, there are no criminal charges yet. And that list is were, growing, but by the, the way. It, it the absurdity. Oh, don't make sure they're not on the do not hire list. And there's another one that the uh, inspector general found really as well. Sort of related with with um, with your water bills and other city city bills and so on. Um, debt collectors come in and they make a contract with the city and they say, okay, you know what? We're going to go. Uh, w- w- you pay us whatever seventy five cents on the dollar, and we're going to go out and get all these uh, delinquent accounts paid up for you. But you have the city has to pay that debt collector up front. Well, they there was one debt collector who had a contract and they were able to um, in an unauthorized way be able to take a look at a bunch of city records for people who actually had paid their bills. Oh my gosh. They weren't even delinquent. <laughs> so and
2: insane. So, so the, they so, might've gotten so, it Paris, off of my so, bill. Harris, right. we can't see <laughs> you, but are you,
1: are you shaking your head too?
3: Um, no, because <laughs> <laughs> how long have we been around? Uh, I know, I know, uh,
0: but but it's amazing. So then they say, okay, we're going to, let's just pick a number. We're going to, we're going to get, uh, we're going to send out bills for a hundred million dollars worth of, uh, of of delinquent accounts, and they might get some of that paid back because people think, oh, gee, I don't want to pay the city. I'd be on the wrong side of the the city. And then they get their money up front. And so this was a 25%... Payback, a kickback Jeez. to this uh, to these debt collectors. Unbelievable. So, so, so certainly the um, the recommendation from the inspector general's office is that you know you really kind of need to use some technology here. You need yeah. to be able to uh, modernize your your systems and and the and the clerk Ana Valencia has acknowledged all of this and says that's why basically she was elected and that's what she's promising to do.
1: Yeah, and with that the clerk worker that was pocketing those those cash payments, uh, the report says you know during the course of the investigation the employee resigned and uh, did not give a statement in OH. And, and was placed on the do not rehire I, I, list. And also was placed on the do not rehire list. I just hires. think
2: it's so insane that there couldn't be another person sitting next to them as they're handling cash.
0: Well, here's I the mean, thing.
2: I, I count the donations at my church for on sure. Sundays. Well, they and, were, and someone were. And there has to be two people yeah. sure. to make sure that's Stephanie doesn't steal the money. I mean, how is this not, how is that so basic? Yeah. No, someone, that, someone noticed thing. it and flagged
0: it. Right. And, and they were always small amounts, too. Right. That's yeah. the other thing. Just little bits here and there.
1: We're in the home stretch of our weekly news recap, giving you a closer look at the top stories across Chicago and Illinois. After three months of trial, a federal jury convicted six gang members in the killing of Chicago rapper FBG Duck. Here's Paris with the details.
3: Well, uh, back in 2020, uh, FBG Duck was killed uh, uh, by these uh, purported gang members outside of uh, or on, on Oak Street Um and uh you know it, his his real name's carlton weekly uh he's a drill rapper um and it's sort of part of uh what apparently prosecutors said was an ongoing gang feud and it kind of is a, is a glimpse into this sort of this kind of dark world of drill rap where um you know there's rap that's put out on social media there's videos and songs and it's put up on youtube and it's uh, put up on TikTok and all that, and they're talking about you know gang feuds and killing each other in these raps. And a lot of it is entertainment, and a lot of it you know, they're 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 making money, and they're it's it's you know they're getting downloads, you know. Mm-hmm. But then it crosses the line into real life, where there are there real gang feuds, and apparently this was one um, uh, where um, the this murder was again, according to this case, a part of a gang feud that yeah. this rapper. Uh, was involved in. But again, this, I I mean, this, you've heard this so much with, with, with drill rap, is that like, you don't know where the line between, you know, entertainment here and and real life sort of murder and mayhem on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, prosecutors are tying this shooting to like uh, gang wars and, and disc tracks. And so it has a lot of other rappers and other music artists in the industry paying close attention to this.
0: And they're getting their attention, and uh, who knows what kind of antecedents those are for the kind of violence that we see on the streets in Chicago. In, invariably, so many of these drive-bys and so many of these uh, unexplainable phenomena, not just on the south and west sides, but primarily there are are just the, the reasons why these things happen just kind of disappear into the ether. Mm-hmm. And... and and there's there's no denying the cultural link to to what, what what's going on there.
2: Yeah, you know, there's an interesting book called The Ballad of the Bullet. I don't know if you guys have read that by Forrest Stewart. It's a fascinating look at drill rap, and it's interesting because the uh, consumers of this music are oftentimes white suburban boys who like to listen to this, you know, rough music. Yeah. And and like Paris said, it has real world consequences. Mm-hmm.
1: Paris sentencing is not until August for the folks who are uh, convicted in this case. Any idea what we can expect here? Or, or are we looking? Oh, at I mean if-
3: life, life sentence, of course. Yeah, I mean I I, I wouldn't see. Uh, I mean would anyone see any reason why why th- this wouldn't be life sentence for for everybody involved?
2: Yeah. I would ex- expect so. Yeah. yeah.
1: Let's turn, Stephanie, to uh, another story here. Illinois is soon going to have permanent rules about how gun owners of assault rifles and other weapons can register them with police. What do we know?
2: Yeah, that's part of the new Protect Illinois Communities Act that bans the sale, manufacture, purchase, and possession of assault weapons. Um, That includes both the weapons and large-capacity magazines, different kinds of attachments, different kinds of ammunition, and um, people who owned these products were allowed to keep them but they were supposed to register by January 1st. Um, uh, Only about 30,000 people made that deadline covering about 69,000 guns and that is for sure uh, Mm. not all the guns. There are a lot of people that don't want to register. They first of all are challenging this law and they're hoping to get it before the Supreme Court. And I mean, there they,
1: wasn't much of a consequence if they didn't.
2: Yeah, and they they say these the the rules of register the information for the res- registration was vague and unclear. They also have concerns about um, who's going to have their information if they succeed in getting the law overturned um, it, nationwide. I did a story back in 2022 with my Sun and WBZ colleagues looking at. Um, some of these weapons, especially with the use of switches, which is a whole other, whole other uh, nasty issue. But mm-hmm. um, uh, in the U.S., I think there's like 20 million AR-15s, and um, and I I I looked specifically with that story at large capacity magazines. And I remember there were like 80 million in circulation of 30 rounds or more, not to say nothing of the smaller magazines. So there's a Mm, lot out there. And if only 30,000 people have registered in Illinois, it's for sure a vast. Nearly
1: the whole thing. Uh, Let's turn Revy to another story that's on our radar. The the Art Institute, it's fighting to keep a piece of art that New York authorities is saying that doesn't belong to you. What's the yeah, back and th- forth th- th-
0: there? Th- these are these are beautiful watercolor drawings by uh, an artist named Egon Sch- Schiele. I think that's how you pronounce it, Sch- Schiele or Schiele. And they were owned back in the day by a, a Jewish art collector and cabaret singer um, and uh, an artist named uh, Franz Friedrich Grunbaum. Now, the Nazis uh, basically took all those. all all of his art when they sent him off to Dachau, which which is where he died in 1941. So over the years, what happened to all that art that he had? Mm -hmm. Well, it has been the subject of a lot of... Of sales, a lot of uh, legal efforts to try to get this back to the heirs of uh, um, of Mr. Groombaum. And now what we have is at the Art Institute is this gorgeous. And I invite you to go to your website, our website. This uh, a Russian war prisoner is the picture. Mm-hmm. And it's a gorgeous watercolor, very very striking of a of, of a Russian um, of a Russian soldier. And that is at the Art Institute of Chicago. And the Art Institute of Chicago says, "Well, wait a second. We bought this correctly uh, back in 1966. It's actually no." Not on display right now. But it's traveled around and they've 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 used it. But the DA's office in New York is yeah. saying that that's part of a whole bunch of art. Yeah, that was this is not this just guy. a one-off. Right. There
1: there are many that the Manhattan DA's office right. is working on. Right, and
0: there are th- three in particular. This is one. There are two others in this collection that, in fact, the the, uh, the holders, the owners now, have actually given back to the heirs of the family, and those are museums in Pittsburgh and, uh, and at Oberlin College in Ohio. So they've surrendered th- those. Now, the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, he is saying, um, I'm— I'm asking you to hold on to it. I'm not saying I'm going to go and seize it just now and the uh, the art Institute is saying we've done our provenance correctly. we we, we can show where we got it legally and we are uh, using legal efforts to hold on to it. It's not that they're refusing to surrender it, but we will see there have been a number you know these kinds wow. of things happen in the art world all the time but um, the fact of the matter is that there is there's this idea of well who owned it and when did they mm-hmm. own it and and was it legitimate for them to have even bought it back then? And
1: these are beautiful pieces. You are right about yeah, that. Yeah. All right, let's shift to some sports because that's my that's my expertise. Uh, kidding. Uh, the White Sox. <laughs> that's fine. Well, the White Sox they're they're in serious talks to get a new stadium in the South Loop. How solid is that?
0: Can, can I just say I'm one of the, I, I didn't become a sportscaster because. I love sports too much. And, you said and you didn't. Become I did a sp- not, and I didn't want it to be kind of ruined for me by just oh. having to do it day in and day out. So this is one area where you're. But I listening guess you're allowed to have you, a listening
1: play. to you earlier, you could be a meteorologist too. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. He
0: missed his calling. <laughs> well, you know, news anchors are our understanding is, is this thin, but it's pretty wide. At, Paris, at any rate, Paris, did
3: you see this White Sox story? I did, and you know, I, I did a story um, last summer about potential city sites for the Bears if if they did choose to uh, stay in Chicago and build a new statement. I thought the 78 would be uh, a perfect site. Um, it's ideal, and I'm so the story here in the Sun Times, the Sun Times broke it basically that the White Sox are apparently in serious talks with the owner of that parcel of land related Midwest, and that parcel of land is uh, Clark Street Roosevelt. It's you know just south of the South Loop there um you couldn't get a better piece of land for a stadium you've got two metro lines right on that land you've got three cta lines within a couple of blocks you've got the dan ryan expressway a block mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. you've got shore drive and then you've got probably the best view of the skyline you're right there in the city you've got train
0: um, lines you've got train yeah, lines right. 16 square
3: you've got blocks. the river you got i everything. mean you could you can take a riverboat <laughs> to the stadium um it so i thought the ideal place for a Bears stadium I don't, bears aren't going to look at that they, they might look at the, the south of soldier field if they stay in chicago but it is an ideal spot for a new stadium the question is um jerry reinsdorf has had all of his stadiums and all the stadium enhancements built not spending a single dime out of his own pocket all spending the taxpayers dime will there be uh Clocks of taxpayers trying to help out this one, especially when you're talking about the, the debate over whether the Bears are going to get handouts. Yeah,
0: well, it's interesting, though, that, that uh, Mayor Johnson would basically publicly acknowledge that these conversations are going on. The quote is that uh, he and Reinsdorf met, we met to discuss the historic partnership between the team in Chicago and the team's ideas for remaining competitive in Chicago in perpetuity, which brings into the idea, as you bring in the history here, Paris, and people remember back in the early 90s, 1992 they nearly became the St. Petersburg yes. Sox yeah right? I remember that yeah and and, I mean, and, they, it, and they got it they got a stadium built for them and that is going to right. become a huge issue of public-private partnerships and should these private businesses that make frankly lots of money should they be taking taxpayer dollars even to mitigate risk and mm-hmm. so on it will be a massive massive debate in this city
2: yeah even you know, though
0: they've already had this
2: I feel like it was only yesterday that they got the deal for the uh for the current stadium they and were, to tear down Comiskey. I mean and, that was 1991 right. I don't wow. I, time flies I guess
0: and they were rent free <laughs> for a while certainly in the first yeah. few years now they're paying what one and a half million dollars a year in rent which sounds like a lot of money but when you think about major League Baseball, what it takes to keep the socks there it takes putting a winning team on the field that's what it takes the same thing
3: yeah, and, they, and they're no, nowhere near having that. But, you know, it's like it's almost <laughs> like drip, drip, drip that you get the story of, oh, they might move to Nashville. Just like 30 years ago, oh, they're going to move to St. Petersburg. So they're holding that up against the city. And now they're talking about a new stadium and a new location. Of course, it's leverage for Reinsdorf to get, you know, public money. Th- this whole Illinois Sports Facility Authority, which mm-hmm. is yeah. this quasi-governmental agency that runs Soldier Field and runs – uh um US whatever it's called guaranteed rate um, guaranteed rate guaranteed field. field the it rate cre- field <laughs> it was created Better than the just <laughs> as a part of it was created by the Illinois General Assembly just for this deal just yeah. to get Ron Schorf his stadium and to not have to have him pay for it well,
0: that's why I wonder what it feels about that he's he's 87 now both his teams are not doing so well is this is is this the moment that he becomes much more of a I don't know, guy who thinks more about the public purse? I don't know. I don't, we'll have I to don't see. think he's
1: happy, I'll say that. Well I can't let you all go without talking about the biggest viral sensation in these Chicago streets. <laughs> A.K.A. Roscoe Village, the rat hole. <laughs> the rat hole. What, what? What? Stephanie, what's what's going
2: the on? The rat hole. You know, the rat hole is nothing new. It's been there for like twenty years. It's <laughs> it's actually not too far from where I live. It's a cartoonish. Oh, that's why we put you on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cartoonish imprint in the sidewalk. Um, it's like it's like a Looney Tune thing. Like if if uh, if a rat fell and and fell into the sidewalk. Um, Actually, the neighbors on that block feel that it's not a rat. It was probably a squirrel. Yeah, there's Um, no clear consensus here. That's not as good a story. I know. The squirrel hole, it doesn't sound good. Um, Hopefully that squirrel (laughs) lived, because I'm an animal lover. I would hate to think that it... Like just decayed and died there, but um, hopefully it got up, walked away. I don't know, um, but people have been making a pilgrimage to the rat hole uh, ever since an artist, uh, Winslow Dumaine from Chicago, posted this on Twitter, yeah. got 5 million views, and all <laughs> these people are coming and leaving coins and flowers and cigarettes and all kinds of weird stuff. Cheese <laughs> at the... At the... Oh my
0: God. <laughs> Which then just attracts more rats. Oh my God. Which, can I just say, on our website at ABC7, this one was very popular. Say this yeah. is sitting Really
1: yeah. Well, I I'm I'm almost out of time. I want to know Paris rat hole or squirrel hole. What do you say?
3: Um, I, you know, it's funny. I walk down Roscoe all the time and I don't think I've ever seen
1: Okay. This. Well, me neither. So that makes two of us. Uh, red yeah. Red hole, squirrel hole.
3: Oh, it's got to be the rat hole. It's a
0: rat hole. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> squirrel.
2: I both squirrel. I both squirrel. Yeah. Well, well, we'll have so to leave it there. an
0: animal too. We didn't want it to get uh,
2: squished.
1: Ravi Beshwal, anchor at ABC7 News, Stephanie Zimmerman, consumer investigations reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, and Paris Schatz reporter and anchor with WTTW. Stay warm this weekend, folks. Thanks. It's you too. It's going to be great. You too. Yo. This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Brenda Ruiz and it was edited by Meha Ahmed and Linnea Dominic. If you liked this episode, consider liking or subscribing to the podcast, or better yet, share the episode with a friend. It helps us find listeners like you. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Thanks for
3: listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.